Good evening. Oh, you didn't mean it. What happened? Good evening. All right, it's good to see you guys tonight. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come and to be with you. Uh, sometimes I find an excuse to visit with you guys very briefly during this Bible study hour. I just kind of sneak in, and then when it's time for me to go on down the street to Dalrada, I do that. But I, I'm glad to be with you for, for both of your classes tonight. Question for you. If you knew that God was calling you to do something, how would you respond? If you knew that God wanted something done, although he didn't call you by name, you knew for certain that God wanted something done, how would you respond? It may be that uh, because I didn't read the Bible in earnest for the first time until I was an adult, I was, in a practice, I was a practicing attorney when I opened the Bible and read it in earnest for the first time. It may be because of that. I remember reading certain things very vividly, I mean, because they made an impact on me. There were several things. You know, you read about uh, God making a breach upon Uzzah, and you've never read that before. That kind of stands out to you. you. You read about him opening the ground and throwing everything that appertains to Korah and uh, closing it up again. That, that sort of makes an impression on somebody who's never heard that kind of thing before. I want to call your attention to a passage that maybe doesn't stand out in quite the same way for you, but it did stand out for me as a person who didn't know very much about the Bible, reading it for the first time. In Ezekiel chapter 22, God is uh, sort of telling his people why they were where they were. He tells them that they were a land that was not rained upon in the day of indignation. I mean, there was no relief for them. These people had been living in sin for a long time, and God was judging them because of their sin. And he's explaining to them in that chapter the reason why. How do we come to be where we are, the people might be asking, and God gives them an answer. And I'll tell you in short what he says to them is, I surveyed all the people. I looked at the priests, and I looked at the prophets, I looked at the princes, the leaders among the people, and I looked at the people, the common man, you know what, and, and I couldn't find one person that was willing to cooperate with me in doing what I wanted done. You see in verse number 30, in shorthand, the rest of this chapter is summarized basically here in verses 30 and 31. He says, in verse number 30, I sought for a man among them that should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. In all of Israel, he says, I sought for one man. I was just looking for somebody who was willing to cooperate with me and do what I wanted done. Reading that, I think to myself, you know, if God was looking for an army and couldn't find one, maybe I'd understand. If he needed a squadron of people who would cooperate with him in doing what he wanted done and couldn't find it, maybe I'd understand. If he needed a company or a cohort, if he, if he says, I need a quartet of men and couldn't find that, maybe I could understand. But you know what? He's not looking for a triumvirate. He's not looking for a dynamic duo. He's looking for one person who would see what he wanted done and cooperate with him in the doing, and he couldn't find one. That's an indictment on every person in Israel that was alive at the time. He couldn't find even one. And so he says in verse 31, therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. You want to know why 
The people are in the condition they're in. You, you look at Israel and you remember its former glory and then you see it now and you, you want to figure out why it is how it is. Well, I'm going to tell you why it is how it is because my will couldn't be more clear and all I need is one person to be willing to cooperate with me in doing what I want done, but I couldn't find one. Therefore, that is why I have poured out my indignation, he says, upon them. I have consumed them With the fire of my wrath, their own way have I brought upon their heads, says the Lord Jehovah. I just need one person who's willing to build up the wall. You know, the old version says to to, uh, make up the hedge. You know, in that time, when uh, cities were fortified, they'd be surrounded by a wall. And any city sort of that was worth anything had to be surrounded by a wall. And so when someone wanted to attack a city... They would attack the walls and make a breach in the walls, and that would allow them to have ingress into the city. You know, walls are there for protection, to keep some people out and keep some people in. When you damage the wall, that makes the people vulnerable. And what you want to do then is repair the wall. Well, what they would do during that time is if they could not repair the wall, fortify it with brick and mortar or wood or what have you, the people would have to use their bodies to repair the wall and hold people out. I'm just looking for one person who's willing to make the requisite sacrifice to protect my people to do what I want done. And I couldn't find one. He says that's why Israel is where it is. That's why Israel finds itself in captivity. That's why Israel finds itself with foreign nations being used as a tool of God's judgment. If you knew, if you knew that God was calling you to do a thing, how would you respond? Listen, if he doesn't call you by name, but you know that God wants a thing to be done, what is your responsibility and what would be your response? I want to think with you tonight about this idea of answering God's call. You know, God calls us to do certain things. It's not that he needs us, but he chooses to involve us in his work. And if we don't cooperate with him in his work, then his work will not be realized to the fullest extent that it can be. How would you respond? This is a question that I have contemplated over the, over the years many times. And I remember when I was thinking about whether I wanted to give my life to serving the God of the Bible, this was one of the questions that I had to answer. If God is calling me to do a thing, how am I going to respond? Because this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. When Christ says go, you go. When Christ says stop, you stop. When Christ says stop doing this or start doing that, that's exactly what you do if you're his disciple. How are you going to respond? I tell you what, whatever comes to your mind in the first instance, I caution you to think carefully about how you would respond. I find that sometimes great men don't always respond the way we would expect them to respond in the first instance. You guys remember Moses. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this guy. He's the greatest leader the world has ever known outside of Jesus Christ himself. Now, you can have a different person that you think you'd be wrong, but you're entitled 
to think somebody else was a better leader than Moses. Listen, outside of Jesus Christ himself, there's never been a better leader than Moses, but he didn't start out that way. You remember this. In Exodus chapter 3, the Bible tells us Moses has uh, tried to lead God's people his own way. He has uh, tried to use his physical prowess and strength to to overthrow uh, Egypt, at least in some small sense. He slays a man. That doesn't work. That wasn't God's will. So now he has to spend 40 years tending his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of a mountain. He's the most overqualified shepherd the world has ever known. You know, he's trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he's out there in the wilderness tending sheep. Well, the time comes when God has something he wants him to do, and Moses sees this burning bush, and he turns aside. He wants to see what this is all about. And out of this burning bush, God tells him, listen, I want you to go, and I want you to speak to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. There's a message of rebuke for Pharaoh, and while you're down there in Egypt, I want you to tell my people that I have heard their cry, and I'm going to deliver them with a mighty hand. There's a word of redemption for my people, and I'm asking you to cooperate with me. Get on down there and tell them what I want them to know. And you remember how Moses responds in the first instance. I tell you, Moses wrote a book of excuses about how he wasn't going to do and how he couldn't do what God wanted done. And in chapter 3 and verse 11, he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? You know, I'm just not good enough. He says in verse number 13, uh, What will I say unto them? I, I don't know enough. In chapter 4 and verse number 1, They will not believe me. They won't hearken to my voice. You know, I'm not going to be effective. The people, the people won't listen. In chapter 4 and verse 10, he says, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since you have spoken to your servant. You know, I just don't have the ability, I don't have the talent to do what you're asking me to do. In verse number 13, he says, send, I pray thee, by the ham of whom thou wilt send. Can I translate that for you? Uh, get somebody else. Now, how disrespectful. How disrespectful. That Jehovah says to him, I want to, I want to deliver my people, and I'm inviting you to cooperate with me in delivering my people. And, and Moses says to him in sum and substance, you know, I hope you can find somebody to do that because I'm not willing to do it. Get somebody else. Sometimes people know what God wants them to do. Sometimes people know that God wants a thing done, but their attitude in the face of that knowledge is, I hope he can find somebody else to do that. Shifting responsibility. Anybody but me. I hope that works out, Jehovah. But if it has to work out through me, it's not going to happen. You know, the great thing is we serve a God who gives people second chances. Uh, God continues to work on him and uh, gives this man another chance. And Moses does decide to go and cooperate with God and do what God wants done. And he did go on to become this great leader. He did go on to be the man through whom Israel was delivered from Egyptian bondage. I'm just saying he didn't start out that way. You guys remember Jonah. Jonah is the uh, prophet of Geth Hefer. It's interesting, this man is called a prophet, and so it was his function to speak for God. You guys remember how this works, though. 
In Jonah chapter 1, the Bible says, The word of Jehovah came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Listen to this. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Jehovah, and he went down to Joppa and found a great ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down unto it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of Jehovah. What happened there? This man is a prophet. I mean, he's already, he's already sort of in God's employ. He, he, this is God's servant here, and God says, I've got a job for you. I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. This is the city, this is the, the country of people or the nation of people that has been used to oppress Israel. And God says, you know what? I have a message of rebuke and redemption for them, and I want you to go and take it to them. I'd like you to go a short distance to the north and east and deliver my message of rebuke and redemption. And Jonah says, I'd rather go a long distance to the south and west to keep from doing it. You know, sometimes we will go a long way out of the way to avoid doing what God wants done. Moses' attitude was, uh, I hope you can find somebody who's willing to work with you. I don't especially want to do what you want done. I'd rather shirk the responsibility and hope someone else will pick it up. Anybody but me. Jonah's attitude was, I don't care if nobody does it. I'm not going to do it. He was shirking responsibility. The great thing about this is uh, we do serve a God of second chances. You see, we know why Jonah does this. In chapter 4, the Bible tells us that, that he had it in his mind that the Ninevites didn't deserve God's mercy. I don't know if you've ever entertained that thought, that somebody else does not deserve God's mercy, as if Jonah did deserve it, as if Israel did deserve it. He has it in his mind that the Ninevites don't deserve it, and so he says, I don't want to go. You know, I knew that if I went, you'd forgive these people. I knew that if I went and they heard the message of rebuke and redemption, they might listen and you would forgive. I knew that, and I didn't want them to be forgiven, so I didn't want to go. He flees from the presence of Jehovah. Listen, anytime you know that God is calling you to do a thing and you go the opposite way, you're running away from the presence of God. Anytime you know that God wants a thing done and you look right at that thing and walk away as if you have no responsibility, you're fleeing from the presence of God. Jonah runs away from God and uh, runs right back into God in the form of this great fish that God had prepared. I mean, God knew what was happening here. He runs right back into God. And after three days or so of chastening in the belly of this great fish, it appeared to Jonah that it would be better to do what God wants done in the first instance. And so he says, if you will give me another opportunity, I will go to Nineveh and I will tell them what you want them to hear. And God gives him a second opportunity, coughs him up out of the belly of this great fish, onto the dry land, he goes into the city, journeys into the heart of it, and says only what God once said, yet three days and Nineveh will be overthrown, and those people repented in sackcloth and ashes. I tell you something. 
the power is always in God's message. It, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with human eloquence. It doesn't have anything to do uh, with how well a man can package or present. A man simply has to say what God once said and people who are inclined to receive his rebuke and accept his redemption, they will do so. The entire city repents in sackcloth and ashes. We might look at people and think to ourselves, you know, they don't want to hear it. Some people are so far gone, they don't want to hear it. You know, we don't know what they want to hear. We've never tried. The Assyrians were the most rugged and fierce, brutal people of their day. If you could look at anyone and say they don't want to hear it, you'd have said that about them, and they all repented in the face of God's word. I like to learn from other people's mistakes. I believe the Bible teaches that we should learn from other people's mistakes. And I'm certain that there have been times in my life where I I knew that God was telling me through his word that I should do a thing, and I said, boy, I tell you what, I don't really want to do that. I hope somebody else will pick that up. There have been those times. But I know I was wrong every one of those times. To my own shame, I know that there have been some times where I looked at something that God wanted done. And I said, boy, I'm just, I don't know, I'm not going to do that. Now, thankfully, I don't have those kind of thoughts for very long because I feel guilty. I know what Jesus has done, and I can't really abide in that kind of condition. I know it's wrong, but listen, I'm saying, if we're not careful, we have those kinds of times. And when we do that, God has to chasten us and would that we would recover quickly and go ahead and do what he wants done. He's a God of second chances. But you know it is possible to get this right the first time. Did you know that? It is possible to have the kind of heart and disposition that says, when God says he wants a thing done, I am going to move and do. When God tells me to do something, I know how I'm going to respond. I'm going to answer his call by moving to do his will, and that quickly. In Isaiah chapter 6, it is uh, one of the more thrilling passages in my mind in all of the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet has a vision of God on his throne. I want to read a portion of this with you, and I want to show you some things here, maybe to distinguish this response from the others that we see. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says in verse number 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He sees God seated on his, temple, his throne. Above him stood the seraphim, these heavenly beings. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he did fly. He covers his face, apparently, even for the heavenly beings. God's radiance, his glory is too great to look directly upon. He covers his face in God's presence. He covers his feet with two of his wings. You know, God told Moses, take the sandals off your feet because you're on holy ground. Well, you know what? Anytime you're in God's presence, you're in holy ground, and these heavenly beings cover their feet. And with two, they did fly. Fly wide. They flew to do what God wanted done. In verse 3, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The God you serve is thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy 
is Jehovah of hosts. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now listen to this in verse 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king, Jehovah of hosts. What would your... What do you expect your demeanor to be if you were ushered into God's presence? I was teaching, a, I teach a wisdom literature class for the school of preaching in Knoxville. We were going through the book of Job, you know, and Job requests several times uh, to have an audience with God. I, I would just like an opportunity to, to ask God some questions. You know, I'd say this to him and I'd want him to explain some things to me. Well, he does get that audience at the end of the book and it doesn't go the way he anticipated you know, if you ever find yourself in God's presence, and on one day we will find ourselves in a more perfect way in God's presence, how do you think that's going to go? You're not going to ask God anything. You're going to fall down on your face and worship him. And you will at that time have a heart and a mind to go and do whatever he calls you to do, and that quickly. Isaiah is in the presence of the king Jehovah in all his glory and his thought is woe is me for I am undone I am a man of unclean lips I I dwell among a people of unclean lips now he is more than ever before profoundly conscious of his frailties and his weaknesses in the face of a thrice holy God woe is me there's no way that I can stand before him look at how God responds In verse 6, then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he touched my mouth with it, and said, Look, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin forgiven. There was redemption for Isaiah, though he had been an imperfect man. God is aware of his imperfections. God addresses him at the point of his imperfection. God forgives him for his sin. And then I want you to see the call. So you've got to appreciate this context before you can appreciate the call and the response. Then comes the call. In verse number 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Notice something. When God came to Moses, he came directly to Moses and he made entreaty or I should say he made request of Moses directly. Moses, I am sending you to Egypt to speak to Pharaoh and my people. Moses said, no, not me. When he comes to Jonah, he comes to Jonah and addresses Jonah specifically, individually. Jonah, I'm sending you to Nineveh. I want you to go and tell those people they need to repent and I will forgive them. And Jonah says no. Here, Jehovah does not address Isaiah by name. He simply says, I need someone who's willing to cooperate with me and do what I want done. Who will I send? And who will go for us? Now here is Isaiah, a man who has, uh, who has become more profoundly aware of his weaknesses 
than he ever would have to this point in his life, a man who has been forgiven by God, a man who has been made acceptable in the sight of a thrice holy God, and he becomes aware that God has an opportunity to serve. He becomes aware that God has an opportunity for someone to cooperate with him, and how does he respond? Here am I, send me. You see, one man says, uh, I hope you can find somebody, God, who's willing to do all of that because I prefer not to do that. I mean, I I would rather shift responsibility and hope somebody comes along who's got a heart and a mind to work with you, but I'm not willing. That's one man's attitude. And another man's attitude is, uh, listen, God, I hear what you're saying, but I disagree with what you want to do. I'm just not willing to cooperate with you because I think I know better than you. You would forgive the Ninevites, and in my mind, they don't deserve it. So if it gets done or not, I'm not going to do it. That's another man's attitude. But here is the response of somebody who recognizes how great and glorious and holy Jehovah is. Here is the response of someone who has a better appreciation for who he is without Jehovah and a deeper appreciation for what God has done for him by forgiving him of his sins. God doesn't have to call him by name. God just makes it, makes it clear that there is a need for someone to cooperate with him. And he says... Uh, Why not me? You mean to tell me that that you're willing to use a man to cooperate with you and do what you want done? I mean, if you're willing to use a man, why not me? Jonah said, I don't want to be here. And Isaiah said, here am I. Moses said, send somebody else. and, And Isaiah said, send me. See, one man shirks responsibility, another man shifts it and hopes somebody else picks it up, and then another kind of man shoulders responsibility, accepts the burden, accepts the weight, exposes himself to cooperate with God and do what he wants done. If you knew that God was calling you to do a thing, how would you respond? If you knew that God wanted something done, whether he called you by name or not, if you knew that God wanted something done, how would you respond? I submit to you that the way you respond is going to be a function of how you see Jehovah. When you see him high and lifted up, sitting on his throne in glory, a thrice holy God who alone can deal with your sin problem, and because of Jesus Christ makes you acceptable in his presence, when you see that, you appreciate that, and you respect that, that's going to determine how you, how you respond.
in each of these three instances, uh, God is telling men that he wants them to go and share a message of rebuke and redemption with other people in each of these three instances. You know, God tells us that he would, that we would go and share a message of rebuke and redemption with others also. And sometimes we have a bunch of excuses. We're just like Moses. I mean, we can come up with as many excuses, but in the end, the bottom line is, you know, I just don't want to do it. I hope you can find somebody else that's willing to go and share the truth with other people so they could be saved. I hope you can find someone who's willing to do that. But that's not my thing. That's not where my strengths are. I don't know that I'll be effective. You know, God told Moses, listen, I made your mouth. I know what your mouth can do. It's not about you. You just go and tell them what I said I want it done, and then I'm going to take care of the rest. You work with me and see what great things I can do through you. Moses went along and cooperated with God, and look what happened. Sometimes things don't go quite the way we would like them to go because we don't listen the way we should. That's what happened to Jonah. But, you know, when Jonah opened his heart and decided to listen more completely, to God, you know, things changed dramatically for him and dramatically for the people that he had an opportunity to influence. You know, things can change dramatically in our lives and dramatically in the lives of others if we will open our hearts and listen more completely to what God tells us he wants done. How do you feel about the sacrifice that Jesus has made. How do you feel about what the Lord accomplished on Calvary when he went to the cross he had you in his mind. You see all of that and then Jesus says I want you to go and preach the gospel to every creature in every place. We don't need many more people who are wanting to shift and shirk the responsibility of answering God's call to go. What we need are more people who are willing to shoulder the responsibility of sharing God's message of redemption with other people. We don't need any more people saying, anybody but me, not me. We need more people with hear my hearts and send me mouths. We serve a great God. He's never asked us to do more than we can. He requires of us less than he less than he could. I mean, he simply requires us to give our best, and our best doesn't amount to very much. It's just that he can make something of it. We ought to have a heart to submit our best to him and allow him to work through us to bless us and other people at the same time. Will you bow with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for loving us the way that you do, for being patient with us the way that you have been, for giving us days and times and opportunities to work with you and cooperate with you.
Help us to more fully open our hearts and give ourselves over to serving, to going where you send. And we pray, pray that whatever little we have, however imperfect it is, we will submit it to you and allow you to use it for your glory and for the benefit of those around us. Please forgive us if we have not been as diligent as we ought to have been. And please help us to be renewed in our minds so that we can go forward and serve with new zeal, more robust effort. And we ask you to bless the work of our hands in Christ's name. Amen.